Hello there, and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. My next guest has lived a rich and colourful life as a projectionist, theatre owner, organ player and film fanatic. He played an integral role in getting the Travelling Film Festival out of Sydney to Queensland in the early 70s, and he helped establish the Majestic Theatre's reputation as a must-visit destination in Pomona, with tourists from as far as Texas in North America coming to visit. I'm delighted to introduce to you, in conversation, Ron West. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I was born in a family. My father, although professionally was a dentist, he was also a, a musician. Uh, he played the oboe and coronglé. He had worked for many, many years. I'm, I'm not sure whether he's ever paid or not. Uh, in the uh, local, in the pit of the local theatre, grandly called the Opera House which was built in the 1880s. But then my father was born in 1879 and he was 16 years old playing in the pit at the local opera house when the first films were shown. Uh, he, he played there until the talkies arrived and the orchestra was disbanded, along with, of course, he was, he was just one of millions of musicians that were put out of work when the talkies arrived. It's curious because when I was 16, I left school and uh, I, I got myself a job as the assistant projectionist at the same theatre. And I was only there for about eight months when a, a call came through from a town about 20 miles to the south and they were desperately looking for a projectionist. I was... Uh, encouraged to go and take it on. This was uh, kind of scary in a way because it was in, uh, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the local town hall and the projection room was downstairs under the balcony. It was very small. The machinery was virtually on the point of total disintegration, <laughs> so much so that one of the machines had, uh, under the oil bath, it had a, an empty um, tin, a tomato can, uh, because the oil leaked and ran into the tomato can and halfway through the reel you had to take the can and pour it back into the top again yeah. <laughs> to keep the whole place going. And this was a wooden building, and, and um, <laughs> the film was nitrate, nitrate, uh, which is nitrocellulose, uh, which is another name for gun cotton. And when it burns, it burns. Were there, were there many accidents? None. No. I've never, ever had an accident. <laughs> My assistant did in a different theatre uh, one time. He was winding furiously because he, he wanted to uh, wind, winding a reel of film furiously because he wanted to see the beginning of the show, the beginning of the show. And I was showing slides. On the end of the rewind bench was a, a, a set of stairs that came up from the floor below and at the bottom of the set of stairs was a motor generator set which provided the electricity to run the arc for the slide machine. 
which is, well, as he was about halfway through this reel of film, one of the spindles broke and the reel bounced across the bench, hit the wall, fell down the stairs and into the motor generator set where it promptly exploded. <laughs> so that put the slides out of action and uh, it sort of ruined the first feature somewhat because the last reel was missing now. But that was the only accident I've ever had with nitrate film. Nitrate film was, it was, it was highly inflammable. There were instances of fires that, that occurred through, through nitrate film. The last time I saw a nitrate fire portrayed on the screen was the, uh, the uh, fairly recent film The Artist, which was actually a silent film. In that film, he, he's got all his films on the wall and he, he pulls them all off into a pile on the floor and throws a match in them and they burn. And what was portrayed on the screen was not nitrate film burning. If he'd have done that for real, and that was all nitrate film, it would have just gone whoosh, and that was it. That would have been it. Whereas this burnt like a log fire in a fireplace burning. Um, all right for modern audiences, perhaps, but for those who know how that stuff went <laughs> off, sorry. So it was a goof in that particular. That was a good movie, though, with the artist. I, I really, it was a very, really very, enjoyed that. Very good film. And very great. Film. I love those uh, those quirky takes on like the artist, and even you know the people that did La La Land to bring back a musical yeah, in this yeah. modern time. I mean, yeah. that's that's a real, really not not just a nod to that that genre, but but it's great to see modern directors thinking back to that time. And wanting to recreate and do something in 2018 or in, in modern times. Do you still devour a lot of film? Do you still watch a lot of film, Ron? Oh, heavens yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, no, I'm a member of the uh, Cinema Pioneers. And as such, I have access to cinemas to watch films. And I can take a friend with me. And uh, uh, my mate, he is devoted to cinema. So I go and see a lot of films with with him. I take him along. I enjoy myself. I see things things that I normally wouldn't have gone to see. I enjoy seeing what they can now do with special effects and all this modern CGI that they've got is absolutely marvellous. And I think back to the old days and how shaky it used to be and how... I remember in particular one that stands out is is the um, a sequence in the African Queen where the, where they're in the boat and go, going down the river in the rapids and it's all very dramatic and everything. It's obviously a rear projection thing or, or or whatever. No, it's matted in actually. The thing is, I remember so vividly about it is around the characters in the boat there is a, a distinct, very very bright green line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because this this doesn't happen these days, no. it's it's much more modern. Some of those old ones, I mean, even back in one of the earliest films, nineteen oh three, the Great Train Robbery, they used rear projection in that. When you started uh, the podcast, you were talking about uh, working in that uh, as a projectionist at the age of sixteen. That was in in New Zealand. That was in New Zealand. Yes. What was it that made you? Cross the what do they call it the 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 ditch the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> you, you headed to Sydney, am I right? I headed to Sydney. Yes, um, the reasons were complex uh, in one aspect and very very obvious in another. I was working for a firm over there, 
and uh, was regarded, uh, I pulled off some weird stunts when I was, uh, which actually got me some rather nice praise from head office. But I felt that I had done enough projection work and I felt that it was time that I got a little bit of an upgrade in the, in the firm. I was in Auckland and saw the uh, uh, personnel manager uh, so I said, I thought, I think it'd be nice if I got a bit of an upgrade. Can you organise that? You know, can you shift me to somewhere where I can be assistant manager or something or other, which was the next sort of step up. He said, you're the, one of the best projections we've got. He said, stay with the firm. And out came the Victorian platitudes. Keep your nose clean. Do the right thing etc 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 along those lines and he said by the time you're 70 you might make office boy <laughs> I said you shall have my resignation <laughs> why was he so and, nasty I don't know I've never ever found out in those days in New Zealand I'm talking about 1950 Six fifty fifty seven. The attitude was so mid-Victorian. That's the only way I can really describe it. It was this this horrible. You will eventually learn. Mm. Maybe uh, claw your way up the hierarchy <laughs> somehow, <laughs> but without my be, help. Yes, but yeah. definitely not without my help. All right. So you, you resign from that job. So you come. You cross the ditch voluntarily. Voluntarily, yes. Suitcase As a matter of fact, I'm, 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 I'm a real boat person. I paid £25 for my fare on the Wanganella and I sailed across the ditch and arrived in Sydney. I had £25 in my pocket and it was sink or swim. What'd you do? Swam. <laughs> <laughs> I was very, very fortunate. Yeah. Very fortunate. So tell me, who did you who did you seek out when you'd landed? Did you have friends that had come before you? Did you have fat or relatives in Australia? No, I didn't have any relatives at all. Um, I had a number of small jobs. I went to Greater Union with the idea of getting a picking up a job as a projectionist. Unbeknown to me, I didn't do enough research on it. Obviously, all the suburban theatres of which they had heaps in Sydney, there they were closing them all down. And so although I got a couple of projectionist spots for a couple of weeks of time, uh, just just as the thing closed down. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, you're one of the top projectionists in New Zealand. What qualities make a good projectionist? I grew up in the days when presentation in the theatre was most important. You had to make people feel welcome, even though it was a small suburban theatre where everybody knew everybody else. These were the days when uh, the Opera House where I started had a balcony area. The whole place seated 850-odd. They had a balcony area that seated about 300. And every seat on a Saturday night was booked. And that was a permanent booking. The only way you could get a seat in the, in the dress circle was... <laughs> was grandly cool. Um, and the seats were very comfortable, I must admit. Uh, the only way you could get is, is, is if somebody died. <laughs> you, 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 there was a waiting list. Sounds um, like the Noosa Film Society. Yes. <laughs> the, the girlfriend I had at the time, uh, she used to do the bookings. During the day, she ran the candy bar which was a shop, separate shop. She took all the bookings and, and so forth, and she, she had the booking book. You had to be pretty smart to be able to get in. That was the thing there. The standard thing was there were, there were no double features. 
This was the age. There were two cinemas in town, and the other was an older theatre that had been built prior to the Opera House called The Grand. And The Grand was the B-grade house. It ran double features. One of the one of the tricks I pulled, and this is when I was very uh, uh, young in the piece, on the Friday and Saturdays, uh, uh, no Sunday pictures at all. Um, Friday, Saturday, Monday, they'd run one program, double feature, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday would be a different one. On the Friday night, all the Maoris from the local par would come into town and do this Friday night shopping. So they came, they, they'd come into town, do their shopping, and then the whole of them would go to the Grand uh, to see the cereal. And they used to virtually pack the place out. We'd get a double feature on there. My lady friend Josie was in the ticket box there, um, which she she didn't particularly like because it, everything was cramped in the grand. And right behind her in the ticket box was the motor generator that <laughs> supplied the electricity for the arcs. And every time I'd strike up an, uh, an arc, an incoming arc there, the whole thing would go... And scare the hell out of her. <laughs> but anyway, it was a wooden building, and the projector motors were bolted to the floor of the bio box. And when you started the incoming machine, the entire building would vibrate slightly. You could you could feel it actually feel it. I said to her, "Look," I said, "When the cereal's finished, everybody leaves and goes home." I said, "We could run the show to an empty theatre." You know, maybe half a dozen people. And she said, yeah. I said, all right, let's do something radical. I said, we'll have, we'll have a slight break at the end of the serial. I'll bring the house lights on and everybody can leave nicely, I said. And this, the film that we had on had attracted quite a crowd. And there, there was a, a crowd outside waiting to get in. I said, right, we'll get rid of the, the serial people. They can go and then resell the house again <laughs> because we know that, we know that they've gone home. Yeah. That's obvious. And, and uh, the rest of it, oh, boy, did I get hauled over the coals for doing that. <laughs> you can't resell a house twice. You can't sell a house twice. Yeah. But you no, being no, entrepreneurial. No, definitely not. <laughs> What have they been doing ever since movies were invented, for heaven's sake? <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in the old days of the Nickelodeon, it was common for a, uh, a proprietor to uh, just stick his head up into the projection room and say, crank faster, get the show over. I've got another crowd waiting outside. And this used to be common. How did you end up here? And I'm interested in, in you taking over the Majestic Theatre in Pomona in the early 70s. I was working for the Sydney Film Festival in 1970-71. David Stratton started up and, and the committee of the Sydney Film Festival decided to start up the Travelling Film Festival. And this was to the idea of this was to take the six best films from the previous Sydney Film Festival on tour to Outback Australia where these films would never have been shown, to give people out there in outlying districts a chance to see foreign cinema. This went as far up in Arnhem Land as Nullumboy. They used to run, run it up there. And I said that they should bring it to the Sunshine Coast. And they 
knocked that back on the grounds that Queensland was not the sort of place they'd take it because at that time, Bilky Peterson was in power. He had his cinema and book uh, board of review and the chances of getting six of the best films of the Sydney Film Festival on were forget. <laughs> right, so that, that was all right, so knock that back. 72, I think, was the first time they took the thing out and I was back at a meeting in Sydney in early 73, in, in January 73, and I put the same thing up. I got knocked back again on the same grounds. This was in January, and in uh, March, March or April, I, I forget now which which it was, but early in the year, I'm and I was living in Koroi, and I had a phone call at six in the morning from David Stratton, and he said, Westy, are you serious about wanting that thing? And he says, why? I said, because there's a lot of, there's a big group of German, French, and Italians here on the coast, and I think that the overall interest of people who live on the coast would be worthwhile bringing something like the Travelling Film Festival. He said, all right, then. Find a venue and you've got it. Mm. So I said, all right, well, how long have I got? And he said, 10 days. I said, I can't do the first in 10 days. He said, well, you want the thing out there. Here's your opportunity. Find a venue and you've got it. I said, well, how much have I got for advertising? He said, $400. I said, "Mm, okay, I'll do the best. I went around every existing cinema on the coast. Were there many? Oh, yes, there were. Yes, the Noosa Drive-In was running. Um, There was no no hard top, no no straight. Um, There was Coolum Cinema was running. Uh, There were two, I think, in Maroochydore. The Star. There was one in um, Malula Bar. There was, of course, uh, Caloundra. I went through the whole lot of them. Mm. And the same result, the same thing from all the people. What, foreign films was writing on the bottom? <laughs> oh, no, mate, no, no. Nobody had come to them. I said, it doesn't it wouldn't matter just as long as you can scream. No, 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 I've got a thing booked in here. One of them said, oh, no, I've got a Disney double that weekend. I'm not going to pull that out. And so <laughs> And so I thought to myself, well, this isn't going to happen. Then somebody said, there's a cinema at Pomona. Mandy and I drove over and it was raining. We parked opposite and took one look at it and said, oh, no. Because we had vivid recollections of a British comedy called The the Smallest Show on Earth, (laughs) uh, where... Two people who had known nothing about show business at all. One of them, their uncle dies and bequeaths them a cinema in <laughs> in England, in the Midlands in England. And uh, they go to take it over. It's called the Bijou. And it's built under a railway overpass. <laughs> I mean, it's all the things. Anyway, it's a very funny film. We, we had visions of the Bijou. Anyway, we found the, the guy who owned it and told him what, and we got the same reaction, you know. Films were writing on the bottom, oh, no, 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 never run any of those sort of things. <laughs> this was my last chance. And so with the aid of a cast of cheap muscatel, <laughs> I convinced him that this whole thing wouldn't cost him a single cent, uh, that Sydney was paying for the entire thing. Even if nobody came, it didn't matter, he would still be paid. 
and the rest of it. And then I came to the, the uh, uh, important bit, and I said, well, okay, well, but how much are you going to charge for the theatre? He thought for a while, and he said, um, $50 a day. And I said, $50 a day? He said, oh, that includes cleaning. Mm. And I said, well, there's no problem at all. I said, consider the booking done. I'll get straight on to Sydney. <laughs> and uh, there's no problem about this. And when I told, uh, rang, rang Strats up, and I said, you're sitting down? And he said, this sounds serious. I said, oh, it is, it is. I said, I asked him how much the theatre, I've got the theatre. And uh, I said, I asked him how much it was, and he told me $50 a day. Of course, we were used to, the, the film festival was used to paying something like 1000 or 1500 for the weekend mm. at some of these bigger cinemas. And he said, $50 a day? I said, yeah, that includes cleaning. But he just <laughs> he just broke up. And anyway, he himself came up for that first film festival. Yeah. It packed out. Wow. He was delighted with it. We ran that film festival there at the Majestic uh, for the next 20 years. Wow. And was it that initial support that you saw with that initial uh, film festival, Ron, when you decided, you thought, well, I probably can do a bit more with this theatre than what this bloke's doing? Is that when you purchased it? Well, this, this, this was in the back of my mind. I thought, I thought, hmm, this is interesting, this. So I talked to him and I, I said, I think I can do better for you. I think you get get a bigger crowd in and so forth if you'll let me pick some films to put in. And he sort of hummed and hard a bit and then said yes. And so the first film I put in there was uh, David Bowie's The Man Who Fell to Earth. And I had two day bills, uh, long, thin posters. Mm. Uh, and I put one up in Pomona and I put one up in Karoi. Next Saturday, we got about 180 people. And he was embarrassed. He was so embarrassed because he had kept the theatre going after his father had died and his father had kept it going right through. The last time it had a really full house was during World War II wow. when there was an army camp in the area and the army took the place over to entertain the troops. It was running seven nights a week. But that, that was different after the army left. There was nothing. All of a sudden to see all these people, he was so embarrassed he wouldn't come down out of the bio box until they'd all gone. And was there an organ... Already installed no, in that theatre. No, no, no. When did there that? Wasn't. When did that happen? That happened in about it was it was late seventies, and it was because I played and so forth. I said, "Well, God, we should have an organ in here because yeah. this would this would add a bit of class." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or to quote W. S. Gilbert, it would add verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing <laughs> narrative. <laughs> We decided to, to take it on and tart it up. Well, we were stuck with um, sort of very old and second-rate films for a while. We were down in, in 20th Century Fox in Brisbane in the, in the office down there and they had a huge poster up and the wall for an on, upcoming feature. And so I walks in and I says, oh, we'll have a booking on that as well. And he says, oh, all right, then okay. Then we penciled a date in for it and so forth. Well, when this film opened up in Brisbane, it went ballistic. You couldn't get a seat to see it at all. It just took off like you wouldn't believe. And as soon as I found that out, I rang him, rang up the guy in uh, Brisbane and said, uh, you better give us a replacement for that film. He said, 
Why? I said, because it's gone ballistic here in Brisbane. I said, you're not going to have a print available. He says, I have booked this film for you and you are getting it on those dates. What was the film? I said, are you serious? And he said, yes, I am. I'm dead serious about it. The film was Bette Midler in the Rose. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so he actually gave it to me. He says, there's one condition. Hmm. On Monday morning, you must ring me and give me the figures for the weekend. We've sold out. <laughs> Absolutely sold out the house. Really took off. And I rang him on the Monday morning and told him, and he said, okay, come down here immediately, bring your checkbook. He said, we'll talk. So I went down, and I went down, Manny and I both went down, paid him his percentage for the film. Uh, he said, right. And he got out the list of bookings that he had made, tore it up and threw it in the waste paper basket and says, right, now we'll start again. He says, from here on, you get first release with Brisbane. And it was included. Was it always called The Majestic? Always. Right. It started off, when it was built in 1921, it was called The Majestic Hall. Yeah. Because it was built as a, as a multi-purpose hall. It's an interesting building. It's been uh, it's it's been uh, renovated, restored, but it still has the original floor yeah. in it, uh, which is three quarter inch crow's ash, which is worth a fortune these yeah. days. I sold it in. 2003, 2004, somewhere around about there. Yeah. Uh, but and you weren't going to play the organ anymore. N- no. Well, what happened, what ha- happened, the timeline there was I sold it because it needed renovating. And by putting it into the hands of a local incorporated association, th- this gave them access to funding from the federal government, the state government and, and local council, which is how the, the renovation took place. And when it opened up, I was still there playing. And I played through up until about uh, five years ago when uh, another committee took over. Well, I was fired, believe it or not. I was playing between eight and ten shows a week. This new new committee, uh, they, they pulled the plug on the last three yeah. shows. And they just cancelled them. I was told that uh, my services were no longer required. I think that's probably probably when we spoke because you weren't doing it anymore. Well, I retired then, and uh, that lasted until uh, oh, about a year ago, a year and a bit ago. You're back there. When I'm back, I got <laughs> asked to go back and do the silent films. Yeah, again. Wow. And we and in the in the meantime, of course, uh, a flood had gone through the theatre and destroyed the organ that was in there. And uh, that was about five years ago. Right. Uh, a story all on its own, of course, is uh, that um, a big organ was donated to us. Where'd that come from? It was in Brisbane. And how did how did it end up being donated? Was it someone that uh, had a connection well, with the Majestic? It was, it was some, no, it was somebody, somebody that, that I knew who always used to work for the, the agriculture department and he used to go through Pomona on various odd trips He'd always drop in and so forth. And, and he had uh, bought this organ some years previously and he had installed it in his garage, in his big double car garage, and he had installed it in there some years previously. I went down well, quite several times and played it. It was quite an experience playing it. He uh, died, left 
the organ in his will to the Toowoomba City Council to put into the Empire Theatre. Well, the Toowoomba City Council weren't interested in it and the the Empire Theatre is heritage listed and it would have had to make alterations to the building to put it in and that wasn't going to happen and right. so forth and so on. So they said politely, no, yeah. no, thank you. And the thing was just sitting there. It was around about this time that, that uh, I was... Uh, dispensed with and I had a lot of other things on my mind because um, the guy's wife had seen me we'd met in Brisbane uh, quite accidentally and she'd said oh, please come and do something with the organ she says just sitting there doing absolutely nothing and so forth and so on and at the time uh, Mandy was very ill and she was dying and uh, I sort of had other things on my mind I didn't want to think about the organ mm. I did nothing about then then this one got written off and there were two guys who were professional organ people who had got involved. I don't know what the, the went on. Mm. I, I had no idea. They haven't been told. Uh, but they got it and the, the family had a, uh, I believe, had a, a meeting. They all agreed that they the, the thing was sitting there and that, that this was a, a genuine silent picture theatre. We sh- will donate it. What's it sound like? I'll tell you that as soon as I play it. It's not, it's not playing yet. Hopefully November. Ron, I, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing some of your life stories uh, with us and some in, insights into the Majestic Theatre and how that all came <laughs> about. So I, I really do appreciate it and thank you so much. You're very welcome. Ron West was my guest today in Conversations in Noosa. I hope you enjoyed that. Please rate and review the podcast if you did and share it with your friends and family on your social media platforms. Remember, there are two fresh podcasts every week on our website, innoosamagazine.com.au forward slash conversations every Monday and every Thursday. Until next time, take care.